0: Hi, my name is Austin Chadwick. Welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. Co-host is Chris Lucian. And today we're definitely excited to have David Batten on the show. Got some good topics, zero bugs, lean, and mobbing. Uh, so what's this mobbing thing? I don't know, David. Well, maybe we get to it, you can explain it to us. But uh, anyways, um, uh, before we jump into those topics, David, uh, can you introduce the audience uh, yourself to the audience?
1: Yeah, David Batten, I am uh, currently a cloud architect for a company called PackSize. we make boxes. Not terribly interesting on the outset, but we do a lot of really interesting things with hardware and software. And uh, I've been a software developer for about 20 years now and have been mobbing for about nine years primarily as the way of working and have focused on continuous delivery. So I have danced back and forth between infrastructure and software engineering, back and forth for for
0: many years now, and
1: and that's that's my passion. That's where I am.
0: Right on, right on. That's well, really... if you're continuously delivering, I guess uh, uh, bugs might matter on that. So, uh, what what are your thoughts?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you should have zero of them.
0: <laughs> hey, I like that idea.
1: I give talks from time to time at uh, like local events, uh, code camps, and stuff and was thinking of a topic one time and I had come across the hashtag. It was either bug zero or zero bugs. I forget which one originally caught my eye and I started thinking about that. I'm like, huh, what does that really mean? And it kind of turns out that we had built a code base and teams that had naturally zero bug you know, behavior and zero bug code bases without thinking of that as a goal. So. I mean, as as you well know, mobbing was we did it, you didn't set out to create mobbing. It was just this is what happened when you tried to do the right thing and make things better. And, and we kind of fell into zero bugs, I think, the same way.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, the uh, this has come up actually the last a couple of times the past couple of weeks, but I don't think I've told you this story, Chris. But when I first uh, before, I heard about where Chris was mobbing and uh, kind of the reputation. Um, This Zero Bugs thing came up and I mentioned it to a previous organization. And the first thing they said was actually, oh, that sounds terrible because you would have to have such like, yeah, exactly. Like a high pressure, like never make a mistake. And then they sent me an article from like an organization that adopted like a no mistakes things from the military and so everyone's like crazy scared all the time to make one mistake. And uh, so are you saying you want that, David?
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I mean, but part of, part of,
0: you know, being in
1: a, of having a continuous learning mindset is that mistakes are part of the process. We, we will try something. Maybe we make a mistake. If you learn from it and improve, then I don't feel that a mistake is a bad thing. It's actually part of the learning journey. But the way that we define zero bugs is that when we ship our code to production, there are no known bugs in that code. We don't, have, we don't track a list of bugs and say, we're going to get to these in Q2 or anything like that. We use uh, methods like test-driven development, uh, uh, really good automated pipelines, and continuous delivery so that we can have quick feedback on the code that we're writing and getting it into production. Additionally, we use lean and single piece flow as a method of just work on one thing right now. The nice thing about that is when you ship your code to production with no known bugs, when you do learn of a bug through whatever channels you learn of that bug from, you can immediately look at it and triage it and make a decision. Do we stop doing the one thing we're doing right now and fix the bug? Or do we finish the one thing we're doing right now and then fix the bug. And so putting all of those pieces into place, just puts you in a good position to make that decision quickly and to fix the bug as soon as you come across it reasonably. And then you're right back to, there are no known bugs in my code base. And it's just a natural flow. All of those things are very helpful to keep in place to get you to this point and tight fast feedback loops are super
2: important. Yeah, it's funny because uh, you know that that story you told Austin it. I never really thought of it as a end goal. It was it was kind of like just a result or a a discovery at the end, like you were saying, David. Um, and so it's kind of. I mean, it is kind of genuinely harmful to to think of it as, you know, requiring no known bugs or something like that. It's more about about putting that automation in place, getting good communication down, um, and, uh, those sorts of things I think kind of emerge naturally out of mobs. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I almost think like, thinking of that as an end goal like it's it's more of like a a symptom of doing it right like a symptom of being healthy right (laughs) versus a uh being a goal or or anything along those lines and so i I think that's an interesting uh perspective shift for me because i know we talk a a lot about zero bugs zero known bugs in the code base but um it was I, i don't know that it was ever something that we set out to do or wanted to do it it just kind of naturally uh you know eventually left the system um and so i you know i can think of you know before we started mobbing there was a bug database with hundreds of bugs in it and then after we had started mobbing a few years after we had started mobbing we had naturally stopped using the bug tracker because we were rarely ever in there so it just became a kanban card and then and so you know, we told our our IS department, hey, we can just take the bug tracking server down. We don't use it. Um, and so that's like a really <laughs> that's, that's like, like deleting cool thing, right? all the code, right? Yeah. You're like,
1: oh, I'm deleting code, I'm the happiest person on the face of the planet today. We
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I don't know, it's just kind of a, a cool thing. Um like so, so uh I guess you know, you, you said that it kind of emerged. Um, you know, how did it get there? What were some of the signs that that things were moving in that direction? Um, You know, was there ever a point where. It was bad enough to acknowledge the bug, uh, the bug count, or was it more like adopting good habits naturally led to it? Like, what was the transition
1: like? Absolutely the latter it was it was adopting you know all of those good patterns that led us there and then as I was looking at this new new hashtag zero bugs, I'm like,
2: oh, we do that
1: and I was, <laughs> but I wanted to think of, well, how how did we get there and all of these things came into place when in 2014 I had started working for an organization where a lot of the local developers here had congregated because we all believed in things like, you know, clean code and, and quality code, and we believed in TDD, and we believed in automated testing, continuous delivery, and we've kind of all congregated at uh, an organization where those were the expected behaviors. We were expected to write TDD. We were expected to do continuous delivery and automated deployments. And so with the expectation of those practices and the expectation of continuous learning, it was just a natural way for us to, uh to get there i often talk to people and they're you know they're like well how did you know how did you do that i'm like well i didn't change the organization i changed the organization i basically found the place that was working the way that i thought was you know these were the important things to me as a software engineer that we practiced those those things and i kind of found my way to that organization um so we didn't really we started off on the right foot and we didn't have these hurdles to overcome, thankfully. Um, Getting those things into an organization where those hurdles exist, I don't have a great recipe for that. (laughs) I wish I did, I would probably be a billionaire and everybody would be happy and all that stuff. But um, did I just try to find Small groups of people within an organization as a grassroots of like, we believe in these things, let's use them and then show to the organization how using them has helped us and try to gain traction that way uh, with nice. various levels of success. Again, I kind of steered my way toward the organization that expected to work that way and is very helpful. Nice, nice.
0: Yeah, and so it sounds like uh, part of your journey was uh, kind of discovering after the fact, hey, we're kind of like that, that no bugs thing. Um, have you ever been on a team where that precedent has been set and then it kind of naturally leads to pressure? Uh, for me personally, I recall one time where there was a bug and it, there was almost like this emotion of shame with it, <laughs> where I guess for me, I'm not, I, I mean, there are times in life I feel guilt and shame, but I'm more kind of like, okay, uh, let's just do the XP thing and we'll automate it away and uh let's move on. But then there were people on the team that were still like sitting in it <laughs> and I didn't know what to do other than just be like, I'm gonna go over here and you know, move on. But uh <laughs> have you ever have you ever dealt with that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And 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 I just try to I try to educate, I try to just have a conversation, you know, with with the people. Yeah. Psychological safety comes into this and the and how you collaborate and things like that. But I I I try to be as personable as I can with people as I as I'm working with them and so well you know well, why why did why did you feel bad about that let them express what's on their mind let them express to me why they feel that way and then try and counter that with if you thought about it this way would it feel as bad and bringing into the you know if you thought about it as a learning moment if you thought about it as we did the best we could at the time when we made that decision, but now we know more and we can remake the decision. If we if we <laughs> the whole group, if we build a system and a feedback loop where that's possible, then we can get we can get us past that hump of, oh my gosh, failure failure is bad. Mm-hmm. Um it's hard to change people's minds, but I've found that just trying to associate good outcomes with these moments and to just keep repeating them and, and, and elevating that when you do come up against a mistake and you're able to learn from it, raise up, Hey, we were able to learn from it. Don't, don't talk about the mistake. Talk about the good part about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what he talks about turning up the good, it feels a little bit like that to me. It's like, let's emphasize the good things in the situation uh, and help us overcome what we feel is bad about it.
2: Yeah, I think everybody is going to have a bug rate too, right? And so um if it, everybody has a bug rate and then but not not necessarily everybody's doing retrospectives and things like that too or or having solid action items and so um your it's interesting because you know, so so some a team will cause a bug every once in a while, and then a lot of teams will solve the bug, right? Um, and then put tests around it and things like that. Some of them will accumulate over time, and and but you know, each team has its own, uh, I guess, bug rate, and that team can work to reduce its bug rate, right? But it's not like they will never cause a bug right? that's, that's the absence of miscommunication. Right. And I think that's impossible as long as we're not speaking mind to mind directly or something. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, you know, so if you wanted a purely analytical approach, it would be, you know, only compare yourself to yourself before and never compare yourself to others. And, um, and yeah, don't even
1: get me started on metrics
2: <laughs> yeah ensure <laughs> continuous improvement right and so if you're um uh because yeah I think there's folly in in doing it otherwise um but also you know I, I think from this conversation I'm inclined to focus on zero bugs a lot less right so so like I think talking about it actually might even be harmful in the sense that, like using it as a positive metric in any way. Um, and it's almost better to just highlight the, um, you know, the act of covering zombies in your tests or, or doing, you know, other things that, that lead to that health and, and only looking at it as like a symptom of healthiness, um, and, and technical health. So I, I don't know, because if you, if you put too much emphasis on it and I'm, certainly guilty of this then it will i guess the side effect of that right which i didn't really think about too much is uh is that it could cause shame on a team <laughs> or something along those lines right it's like oh we're not doing that
1: well, that's um, a really good point and yeah. and you know when i talk, when i when i did my talk on it at a local code camp i i really tried to emphasize the you know hey zero bugs is great and it's a thing and i learned about it and it's all cool but the important part is all of these things that led to it. Led to it you yeah. know, it's important that you have, you know, tight feedback loops and all of these things in place because they enable this. This is the result of these great behaviors, and you, you going after this is not the goal. It's going after these things. That that's really important. So yeah, I agree with you 100.
0: Yeah, the uh, it almost seems like whatever context you're in, how do we bake quality in? How do we Um, because a lot of R&D and software and things like that is taking risks, but if you can do risks with safety, right? You know, so like, uh, (laughs) how can we do this so that if we know we're breaking production, we would know immediately or prevent it before we get there, you know, all those things. And so, you know, I think if you have, if you're focusing on baking quality in, um, I feel like zero bugs is maybe more of a celebratory moment. Like uh, I know, Chris, you like to have our group of mobs uh, do a timeline retrospective like once a quarter, or, you know, every couple times a year or something like that. I feel like that's a good moment to think about it because when you look at Arlo Belshi's talks, the first time I heard it, I was like, whoa, they literally had zero bugs. But then when he was giving examples, it was kind of like, oh, this team literally had no bugs for a year and a half. Or this team, they, when I asked them if they had bugs, they're like, oh yeah, last month we did have that one, you know, you know. so it's it's not like this literal zero thing but it is kind of like after the fact after baking quality in for a while hey we are there or hey we're way closer to it than we were <laughs> a year ago like i've been on teams where a long time ago where we were carrying 300 bugs sprint to sprint you know and <laughs> and things like that yeah um so you know maybe you're not going to go from 300 to 0 in a, in a short time but you know is it is it you're, when you when as you bake quality in is it starting to look better, you know, when you look at it at the meta scale or something? <laughs> yeah. Um
1: it, it and it's you know, it's the understanding that it's not I have absolutely zero bugs in the code base or we have. Uh it, it's it's we don't maintain the big list and we treat them one off and we and we solve them as soon as we can. And how do we do that? How can we get there? That's funny. You mentioned Arlo. That's he's one of the people that got me like really in tune with this and trying to figure out because, yeah, he's like, yeah, you're a half We didn't have bugs. I'm like, I know that behavior.
2: I've lived in a code base like that and it's glorious. Yeah, well, I, and there's there's a lot. So so I think from just like a lean perspective, right, even you dance around the bugs, it's like, oh, we're not going to do that feature because of this other bug is over in that code. So we're going to do this other feature and just like let it live or um there are all kinds of other just weird behaviors that that happen around bugs that if they didn't exist or if you you felt safety to change the code base to not break things further or something um then the the decision about what to do next may change um and and yield a higher return on cost of delay right and um i also think that uh you know so so in the context of of the uh, the Arlo talks. So so Arlo has the definition of anything that surprises a human, right? Which is, I think, a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, There's also the definition of like known bugs or reported bugs back from users, right? Active users. Um, And uh, but but again, you know, I, I think it is more about what you're saying of like, how do you, how do you treat a bug when it comes in? Like, is it, is it important or, you know, is it, is it looked at it through a lean lens? Are you, are you saying is this waste in the system and how do we eliminate that waste? That's a much more important conversation than, uh, our current bug count. Right. Um, and, and, and then also, I think Austin, the, the idea of like gradually reducing the bug count over time, right? If the number is shrinking, then like, that's a sign of, of just, you know, organizational health, team health, that sort of thing, better health. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and just tolerance. You know, so, so yeah, triaging a bug. Um, I think when you triage and you have 300 bugs and, and you're regularly triaging, it, it's it's probably just an incentives problem. Like, right? right, like even. Just looking at the waste and quantifying or, or costing out the waste uh, from just a financial level. I don't know that uh, that people in many businesses that are non-technical understand the cost of that waste. And even technical people, um, I think, sometimes get this impression that if they left the bug there, then, uh, you know, it'll be a higher return than if they focus on something else. But then but then they're sacrificing the, the long term for the short term, I think very often. Yeah,
1: and that's I've never been a fan of that. I, I'm I'm. J- to my, the way that I tend to work and the personality that I, that I kind of try to bring in my teams is I would rather spend, you know, I would rather spend some time now than spend it in tiny chunks forever. Yeah. It's like I want to spend that time up front and eliminate the tiny chunks forever behavior because they just interrupt. They're just, a, oh, I got to do this for a second. Oh, I got to do this for a second. It's how many times are you going to do that before you stop doing that? Yeah, and um, well, uh, but I think a, a, a big a big thing that leads us in the right direction when we start talking about organizational health and you know and all of these behaviors and patterns that that lead us to zero bugs. One of the most important to me is is just having the understanding that we made the best choice that we could with the information we had at the time. Um, in in just about everything, because invariably when you get to a decision point in your code or in you're in your behavior and organizational patterns, there's going to be some trade-offs. There's rarely, if ever, one absolutely correct way to do something. There's always some side effects and trade-offs, but based on the information you have in the context you're in, you make a decision and it's the best thing you can do at that moment. And then sometimes you learn more and go, oh, that decision was incorrect, but now we know better. Instead of thinking it as a Oh, we, we failed use it as a training moment and say, we're going to get better. That leads us to all of these other patterns and all these other behaviors. So that's just like bug came in. No problem. We'll get that taken care of. Let's finish this thing. Push it to production. Okay. Fix that bug, write our tests, do our thing, push it to production. And then there's no failure. There's no feeling bad. Uh, it's just another piece of work in the system. It's part of the product.
0: Yeah, and I, I really like that because I think uh, that loop you just described of kind of prime directive to myself and my team, and what do we have in front of us? What's the number one priority thing to work on? Let's do that well, bacon quality, ship it, next thing. Like that's something you can rely on for contentment no matter what's going on. You could be in the middle of a code her- base that's a hurricane of mess. You could be in a you know beautiful code base. Um, but I feel like if you, when you're focusing on that, um, you know, and doing that well with you know TDD, mobbing, and other things, many teams have realized that. And so I think you're right. It's almost kind of like happiness. Like if you focus too much on happiness, right, it's hard to be happy. <laughs> but if you're focusing on doing good things, uh, you'll realize later like, oh, I'm happy, you know, or you know that that kind of thing. And so I, I kind of feel like there could be a similar things with zero bugs. It's not like my daily loop is is our code base zero bugs today? Oh, and we're not, so I'm unhappy, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, um, but it is a fun thing to reflect on. And it is, when you have been on teams like that, with a lot of the waste uh, gone, it is a glorious thing to celebrate, you know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. so celebrate it when you got it, and then when you don't, that's okay, you know, go back to that smaller feedback loop you were talking about, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I think that, um having having zero bugs as a goal may be distracting. Right. And so if you're talking about a lofty goal of zero bugs, right? What what is the side effect of that? Well, it might be uh, behaviors you don't want, like, oh, let's slow down the release so that we can get more tests in or let's (laughs) right. Like there's all kinds of things that can go wrong with that as a goal. Um, But Having you know in, you know better dora metrics is is something that may lead to more bugs in in the in the short term, but then a process of retrospecting would then reduce the chances of bugs on the way out, right? Um, and so I told like you not side. to get like, me started
1: on metrics. Don't yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we have to oh. let them do it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we can certainly <laughs> talk about, <that. laughs> but but I'll just, I'll just make myself angry. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. So, so, uh, you know, if you are looking at a metric or, or even just a goal, like, let's just talk about goals. Right. So, um, you know, a goal may be to, uh, be lean, right. Uh, Like that, that I think is a virtuous goal, but, but a goal, you know, having a goal of zero bugs, right, is is kind of the the Deming thing where it's like, OK, you're going to look at, you know, that bug count at the end and oh, there was actually nothing you could have done to stop this bug from coming through because it's just learning you didn't have yet. And so it was impossible to to eliminate that bug up front. But but what you can do is have a, a, a habit of like on or uh, Kaizen activities. Right. Um, and, uh, and so the continuous improvement process will eventually eliminate that. And and so, yes, I, I agree totally Austin with this idea of like reflecting on hitting zero bugs for some time, you know, during like a annual timeline retro. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I I'm convincing myself more and more during this conversation that <laughs> that having zero bugs as a goal is probably harmful. Yeah, it just felt like a natural side effect
1: of us doing yeah. all of the other things really well. Totally agree. Uh, and yeah, and for that, and, and it's it's a it's a bit of a feather in your cap. It's like, yes. oh, by the way, additionally, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like we do these things, and <laughs> yeah, we have no known bugs in our code base, So,
0: yeah, nice. nice I don't nice. I don't know
2: that I've ever taught myself to say that no known bugs was never a goal, right? And so like you're saying like, oh, yeah, we had no known bugs for a year and a half. And and saying that statement feels really good. And it's like, you're proud of your team. But um, I, I think never during that time were we like, we want to have zero bugs in the code base. And, I, 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 and so that's, I, it's just the second order effects, the, the systems thinking part of me that's like, oh, man, it's probably damaging down the line.
0: And and I'll interject that I don't know if it's always damaging. You know, I think it, it can be depending on the team and the context. Um, yeah. Like there's certain teams I've been on kind of more high octane mobs, maybe a little rowdy, where they could pursue that goal without it being damaging. You know what I mean? Where it's kind of like, oh, this is fun. You know what I mean? Oh, we missed yeah. a day. Dang it. You know, whatever. But it's not like it's like you're, you know, you're climbing the mountain and if you don't make it, it's okay.
2: You know, like it's not it, damaging. That- yeah. Are, are you saying that from a perspective of having lean knowledge in the team already? Yes. Because, because yes. yeah, so, so I, I think that's the yes. thing. So, <laughs> if you told a team that was not as familiar with lean. Yeah, it would be better to have a goal of being lean rather than uh, to have a goal of zero bugs, because yeah. if if you have a team that is, you know, maybe they've heard lean concepts, but maybe they haven't internalized them completely. I expect that telling them zero bugs is a goal would would potentially you know, it, it's it's going to be abstract enough that you are introducing a considerable amount of risk onto that team. Um so yeah. Anyway. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm learning right now, that's all. <laughs> I <think it's> <laughs> well good.
1: I, I, mean, I am <laughs> I am so glad that you're able to learn from me because yeah, um I spend all my time
0: learning it. from y'all. So
1: <laughs> this is uh, this is quite a turn of events for me.
0: Nice, nice. Well, it's funny we've been talking all the, about all this lean, mentioning this word. Uh, mm-hmm. David, you had this as one of the topics for today. Where where did you want to take us with lean? Um, when when we talk about
1: delivering, well, it's it's kind of an interesting thing to try to explain to people because we have for so long been conditioned uh through industrialization of the world and leading up into the to the work that we do now that cogs in a machine you know make sure these each cog is doing its work all the time um and there's you know we talk about how much waste is in a system because of all of those things you're creating inventory and all of the queuing in between each of those processes so we It's kind of a hard subject, I feel, to bring to the table and say, hey, lean's really important. Um, uh, Because you have so many layers of an onion to peel back to to show them, to say, well, okay, here's one thing about it. Here's another thing about it. Here's another thing about it. We talk about second order effects. We talk about waste in the system. Um, But I have found that the, the, the teams that I have worked on that practice lean and practice single piece flow as a primary way of working, we're faster getting stuff to production. We work in smaller chunks, so our releases are inherently less risky. Um, and and so when I think about bringing these things to an organization, I try to talk to them about it in terms of risk. That's like, well, how was how your last... Let's let's assume they're doing quarterly deployments. You know, how was your last quarter quarterly deployment? How well did that go? How many days did it take you to get that thing out and and fix? And I've seen that happen where a, a quarterly release will take darn near a week, and still there's lingering stuff after the fact that never gets gets uh, gets taken care of. But when you can prove to people that oh no, we release multiple times a day and any problem or rollback is minutes and then you're done and you're, you're not worried, you don't have it hanging over your head, nothing takes days or weeks. Um, I think it's important to to approach the situation from that because business people are gonna be thinking along the lines of risk and cost and, and things like that. It's like, well, if, you're, if your application is down for a couple of days while you work through problems, how does that, uh, translate into what do, what do we look like to the customer? What mm-hmm. do we look like to the industry? It's like, oh, yeah, every quarter you can expect them to. Uh, uh, taken as an example, we look back at uh, Microsoft security from from back in the day. I've been a Microsoft, uh, uh, like systems guy from back uh, 2000-ish, and things were rough back then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, doing doing uh, doing security patches to your operating systems was really really risky. It was really troublesome, invariably you'd get this big patch bundle that would come down and it would break some part of your system that no one had considered and no one had thought about in ages. We had a particularly interesting system with a Unix backend and an NT domain and a and a and a Novell network over the top of it. So you know, we 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 made our we <laughs> we made our own bed, but. Uh, when they started taking it a little bit more seriously and doing them like, you know, they started doing the monthly patch Tuesdays and that kind of stuff, it got to the point where I quit caring about OS updates to to, to the operating systems of the machines that I dealt with. It was just like, "Eh, yeah, we're going to have some upgrades come in on the second Tuesday of every month. And they're a smaller batch. We don't really have to care about it that much anymore. It's not an all hands on deck. We have to go run these in a you know, in a, in a, in a protected sandbox and go test everything and stuff like that. It's like, nah, just release it to a few people. See what happens. We're good. Okay. Release it to a few more. And we kind of did like canary type behavior in that world. And it was just a change in how often they did it and how big the batches were. That was a big component of that. So we can take an example like that and apply it to software that we write. If we have smaller batches and we do it more frequently, our risk goes down. Of any change in the system either being being unnoticed or being like if you if you put a bunch of code out there, if you put out a thousand lines of code in a change and something breaks, you've got a thousand lines of code that are suspect. But if you put out 10 lines of code in a change, there's only 10 lines that are suspects. It's gonna be a lot easier for you to go figure out where the problem lies and to and to recover from that. But again, continuous learning, mistakes are learning, they're not bad. Um, these are just parts of that system. And so lean plays really well into that for me in one thing at a time, tight feedback loops, quick processes and, and reducing inventory. Just, we just roll out. They don't matter. <laughs> Deploy on Friday. No problem. Yep. Do it all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. Cause <clears throat> it really is. Batch size is a, such a super big deal. Right. Uh, yeah. And that, uh, how it's like, uh, I'm failing to think of an analogy, but basically the building blocks, when they're so tiny and safe, there could be a million of them. There could be 10 of them. You know, there could be a million commits. There could be five commits. There could be 30. But when, when we know instantly that each commit was safe and done and we didn't break anything, you can add them all together and it's fine. And so that's, it's, uh, I think it's what leads to a lot of joy with kind of like lean, applying lean to software is, uh, a lot of stress goes away, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I like how you talked about um, lean from the business perspective, right? Because they they certainly feel that. Um, you know, it, it, uh, your your operating system example uh, was very true. You know, for for any time we got a so, uh, uh, operating system update, but if you think about our software. Uh, to our customers into the business, do they even notice the difference? Uh, are they scared for any release or change, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and so while they may not know Lean or know the concepts, they can tell you uh, are they scared or not and how big is the batch, <laughs> right? right. Um, and so I think I've had customers who know nothing about Lean but appreciate it when we operate in a Lean way because things are just happier in general. <laughs> so... Uh, I appreciate they brought that up and um another thing I noticed is I appreciate Chris uh, being vulnerable earlier with his learning and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always learning on this show but I think that's a key part about lean too is that uh you uh our mob every mob I've been on for a while has always kind of had a system diagram of the system, so to speak and uh. Sometimes the learning comes with pain, and sometimes it comes with uh, more easy. But either way, we're always always learning about the whole system. And uh, and I think a lot, I've I read some of Deming's original stuff lately, and a lot has been built off of what he started with. But if I'm understanding it correctly, because I've only read two books, his system diagram, I think, was pretty simple. There wasn't a lot of uh, bells and widgets and whistles and all this stuff on it. It, it seemed to be pretty simple. Um, What's your experience with seeing the whole system in your teams?
1: Um, it, it depends on how
0: <laughs> on how the
1: system is represented. Sometimes the boxes are too big, sometimes they're too small and it takes some conversations to get there. Um, but I, I, I feel that, you know, if you think about how, how Deming views the system as this, a simpler system, that's gonna be easier to wrap your heads around when we're thinking about the things that we care about. Also, when we're thinking about lean and we're thinking about how we uh, deliver code, thinking uh, in terms of the value of the thing that ends up in production, that ends up in front of the people, the system should always be in service of that thing being worked on with high quality, getting it quickly through the uh, through the system. so it's 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 often helpful to. Draw out that system diagram and look for things in there. It's like, well, why are we doing this process? What does this loop represent? Could we could we get rid of this loop or shorten it in some way uh, to think of, to think about getting that value out there in a in a in a quicker way. One of the people that I worked with, Matt, he was very good at every once in a while, we'd be down in the code writing code, and he would say, "Wait a minute." Can we put a pause on this for just a second? Let's go to the whiteboard. I don't think I really have grasped where we are. And he would draw, start drawing on the whiteboard and start asking questions. And we would, you know, draw out that part of the system. And I really feel that that helped us find complexities. It helped us find things that was like, wait a minute. Yeah, that, that, that is not. Is that what you heard when we said that? Because that's not what we meant. So let's, let's simplify this and bring it back in. And I, I think having those constant conversations can help you arrive at a, the simplest way to get the thing done that you care about. I, I value simplicity in systems very, very highly because I have been the person that wrote the complex stuff that I could then not re- comprehend three months later. I went back to my own code and went, what was I thinking? None of this. And so I have trained myself over the years to be like, make it as simple as you can. Make it really simple. Make it really easy to read so that I know what's going on. And the thing, the same thing goes with system diagrams. They should be simple, easy to read, easy to put in front of somebody else and say, can can you, can you understand the system from this thing?
0: Yeah. And something you said there really resonated with me. and, And Maybe it's kind of obvious, but uh, like a system diagram of code—let's just say classes or objects or modules—and then a system diagram of like uh, you know customers and value and how we get value to them and that kind of thing. What's interesting to me is that with code, you keep refactoring until the code is simple and the system diagram is simple, right? You know, and I'm starting to think like you keep refactoring the uh, the system 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. until it's simple and to not, you know, if, if the system diagram feels uncomfortable, keep uh, refactoring it. It, it in what ways you can control and maybe, you know, inverse Conway maneuvers and things like this come to mind. Um, but if if the system diagram is uncomfortable, just like when you look at code and it's uncomfortable, it's like a code smell, like, ah, this doesn't feel good. Let's let's keep tinkering with it until it feels simple. Um, yeah, and, and I mean... That's sometimes easier to say in simpler systems, but I think that's kind of the point of DDD and some of these things, right, is that you can have these gigantic, crazy systems, but you can keep refactoring them until they, they are s- simple enough so you have the fast feedback loops and stuff. Uh, that, that's an area of scale that I'm I'm less familiar with, but... Um, thank you for inspiring me. I too am learning on the show. Hi, David. <laughs>
1: well, you know, bounded context and domain-driven design are very key to that because yeah.
0: the, the
1: th- if if a, if a change that I'm gonna make in my part of the world, in my part of the system, if that has side effects that ripple out through the rest of the system, then I have to infinitely think about all of those other changes and how they might affect people. But if we build things with bounded context and domains uh, in mind, then we naturally build those abstraction layers between them so that I can make the changes without having to worry about the ripple effect um, and the blast radius of those changes. So keeping my part of the diagram well understood and well bounded is really, really important for that behavior for for us. And and um, that was another thing that we did uh, at uh, um at Pluralsight in 2014 was we really focused on teams owning a bounded context and and defining the system in a way that enabled us to do the thinking and the changing we needed to do around our part of the world without worrying about the blast radius
2: of those changes to other other BCs was super important. Yeah it's funny you talk about blast radius because I think that that's um you know a lot of anxiety grows it's kind of an argument for um you know maybe changing complexity but but around around different factors right so micro front ends must might be might look more complex from a technical level but maybe it's less complex from uh the side effects of the of the consumer right um you know the api versioning again it's like you know, maybe adding versions to an API is complex, but again, the, the side effects of deploying an API may be made more simple, right? Um, so uh, I, I think when we talk about simplicity, it's important to consider simplicity of the entire system. And I think um, once, once people, you know, once developers look, you know, maybe this is my, my area of effect, and they don't consider everything that happens as a result of you know the deployment and then the con- con- consumption of that deployment and so on and so forth so um yeah i don't know
1: <laughs> one of the statements that i like to lean on when i think about the you know, bigger systems and, and things like that is we chose to embrace overall system complexity for localized simplicity and that means, yeah, the entire system itself, if you look at the entire system of a bunch of different bounded contexts and communication between them and different deployments of different pieces around microservices, that's a complex thing to think about. That's a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of things going on, and there's a lot of messages moving around the system. However, what it does enable you to do is reason about your part of the world without that blast radius. And so it's a choice. You know, Going back to what we were talking about earlier about there's – you, you do the best with what you have, there's always a choice to make and you do the best thing you can. Th- this is an example of that where overall the system is more complex, but we enable smaller bits of that system to move rapidly mm-hmm. and to work in a lean fashion and to not have to get everybody else on board to get this change out things like that and that's that's really important i think to maintaining uh sanity and 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 team health and happiness it's if every change i make has all of these other side effects and all of these other people to coordinate with and talk to it's not i'm not going to be super happy about that relative to i can do what needs to be done with what we're thinking about right now without having too many consequences Mm. too many
0: and it reminds me of uh uh, Fowler made it in the refactoring book about kind of more of a low-level code problem. But as he's saying, uh, my usual bias is design interfaces that might make life easier for their consumers, right? And so, but if you're thinking about it I'm like a system level, like bounded context or things, right, if you have a bunch of subsystems that make life easier for the consumers, your overall system becomes simple, <laughs> I think, or at least simpler. Um, and yeah, so that's some brainstorming going through my head right now. But we uh, might be getting close to time, and I know Chris is gonna have to close it down soon. Uh, but do you want to give a sound bite on mobbing, uh, David?
1: <laughs> so my my first experience with mobbing was before I had even heard about it. Uh, we were against a deadline, and we needed information that was in somebody's brain, and I we couldn't get it out through the normal channels. And and uh, we basically said, "Hey, we need so and so in here with us in the room, or this project's not going to meet its deadline," and we took over the war room. I had one of the TVs with my computer, another dev had the other TV and we would just go line by line through this application. Does this do what you wanted to do? No, let's fix it. Then we just went through it. The neat thing about that is when we were done, we were done. There was because the person that had all of the knowledge about what we wanted to build was right there signing off on every little thing that we did in the application. So when we were done and we shipped it, we were done. And that was really like, wow, this was amazing. We don't have, it's not coming back to us. It's not like, oh, you need to go fix this. You need to go fix that. We just did it right. And then I got exposed to it via uh, a workshop after the Agile Roots Conference that was here in Salt Lake City. Uh, Woody and Llewellyn did a workshop, and it wasn't about mob programming. It was about working with legacy code, but we were using a Randori style and mob style to do it. And we were like, what is, this is great. And, uh, and so a, f- a few of us here in the local community started to experiment with those ideas and experiment with those things. In 2014, when we started up uh, um, some of the smaller teams at Pluralsight, Mike and I walked into an office, there were some TVs on the wall and he looked at me and he said, well, we're mobbing, aren't we? And I said, well, of course we are. And it just took off. And uh, we awesome. decided at that moment that we were gonna mob primarily as a way of, of working on code. And uh, the CTO would come to he would he would talk to me, so I assume he talked to everybody else too. But he would say, "Hey, Dave, how's the how's the mobbing going? You know, do you feel like it's the right way to work?" And I'd tell him, I said, "Yeah, I do. I I still feel like we're on the right track. We're still getting things done. I I still feel like it's the right thing to do." And I would have those conversations with him from time to time. I pretty soon stopped having them. He he stopped asking. Because we were proving by doing the work and having this constant delivery of, of features to production that the way we were working was working. And I just it it just is because I I'm kind of a social person anyway. I like to chatter in case you haven't noticed. And I I just it feels really good to me to talk about an idea and when it goes into the code I'm confident that's the best we can all do. When I work by myself I maybe it's because I've been mobbing for so long but I kind of lack a little bit of confidence if it's if, if if I don't have someone there to help me along and help me think through that thing because I just I know I'm I know I'm fallible but I know that we are less fallible. And so having that group together making these decisions and getting the stuff into code in and doing it quickly with tight feedback loops in real time is so powerful and so amazing uh to me that i i really have a hard time working any other way
2: i feel bad for the code if i if i <laughs> I'm glad for by myself <laughs> yeah. well the code should speak to you and it should tell you it's happy I, <laughs> yes absolutely Well, uh, that might be a good time for us to close things out. Um, And so uh, before we do, is there anything that you want to plug or share before we sign off? Uh, The
1: software teaming conference is coming up in April of 2024 in New England. And uh, they have uh, asked me to be a facilitator for part of that. So. Uh, if you're interested in model programming, please come join us. I would love to, you know, to talk about it and help people work with it and understand it. I think it's an amazing way to work, and happy to be part of uh, that whole group that can contribute to putting us in a better place.
2: Yeah. Well, oh, and uh, I think I will also be speaking at that conference too, so yeah. Okay, well, I, I'll, I'll get to meet you in person. Though. Yeah, yeah, that'll How's be great. That? Yeah, we'll get to see each other. Yeah. All okay. I
0: gotta say, David, is just, you know, depending on how tall you are, you might have to look up pretty high to- yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> yeah. All right,
2: well, uh, yeah, sounds good. And, um, you know, uh, maybe you know somebody, Maybe to our audience, uh, maybe you know somebody that their code tells them it's sad. And uh, (laughs) if it does tell them it's sad, it uh, it might be a good idea to share this episode with them uh, so that they can uh, find the habits that might lead to zero bugs, but don't tell them uh, to make that a goal. And, uh, you know, with that, uh, you know, please like and subscribe, uh, hit the notification bell. And uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks, David, for being on the show with us. And thank you audience. for having me. See you next time. Bye, everybody. See ya.